Well, last week we were studying in Matthew chapter 9, remember verses 14 to 17, and we saw a principle there that our religious practice needs to conform to reality or to to what's happening in the world. There there should be a, a correspondence between what's happening in the world and and what we are doing to serve God. Now with that kind of in mind, the, the world should never dictate the terms of our worship. And the world should never influence what we do or do not preach. We should never cater to the world to try to please men in our ministry. The moment we aim to please men, two things happen. The first one is that we no longer please the Lord. If we aim to please men, we won't please the Lord. Jesus said in Luke sixteen fifteen, what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Paul said similarly in Galatians 1.10, if we are still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And in 1 Thessalonians 2.4, he says, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. So when we aim to please man or please the world, we always end up being unfaithful to God. The world is hostile to God. James 4.4 says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And so we don't want to be friendly with the world and abominable in the sight of God. And why is it then that friendship with the world is hostility with God? It's because the world is made up of unregenerate men and women, unsaved men and women who are slaves of sin, dead in trespasses and sin, and who carry out the desires of the flesh and of the mind. The world is full of people who love darkness rather than light and who worship the creature rather than the creator and who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And we do well to remember that we were all once in that state. We were all once hostile to God ourselves. We were delivered from that state. We were saved out of that state Not because people tried to please us when we were in that state, but because people told us the truth of God's Word, and by that truth we were transformed. And that leads then to the second thing that happens when we aim to please the world. When we aim to please the world, we no longer please the Lord. And secondly, we no longer help men. If we aim to please the world, we become useless to men. Because whenever we aim to please unregenerate men and women, we inevitably hold back the very medicine that they need to cure them. You know, our, our son Ivan was, was terrified of lip balm. But he also had terribly chapped lips. And if I pleased him by not giving him lip balm, his lips would be sore to this day. The medicine that the world needs is God's truth. And the more the world despises the truth, the more they need the medicine and the more we need to be bold to offer it to them. We can't make the world take our medicine, but neither can we refrain from offering it. 
Our mission as a church is to make disciples of all nations. Our goal is to see sinners converted to God. And our heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. And therefore, our aim must be to please the Lord and to see people come to repentance and faith through Jesus Christ, through the message of truth, the message of our salvation. Paul said that a day would come when people would not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they would accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. 2 Timothy 4, 3-4. But our job, according to the previous verse, is 2 Timothy 4, 2, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. And so, brothers and sisters, we're living in days when the world or, or the word is out of season. When people are not willing to endure sound teaching, they have turned away from the truth and wandered off into myths. And so what should we do in such times? Well, I, I already said we can't take our cue from the world. But at the same time, and this kind of gets back to that Matthew principle in Matthew 9, that, that we can't take our cue from the world, but we must speak to the world. We are not of the world, but we are in the world. The world can't dictate our message. We'll never win the world by giving them what their itching ears want to hear. But we do need to speak a message to the world. We can't merely ignore what's happening in the world. <coughs> Last week, near the, the end of the sermon, I, I tried to give you a quote that, that I said at the time that I thought was from Martin Luther. I was just kind of pulling that from my mind. I, I found out this week it was actually from Elizabeth Rundle Charles. And let me give you this quote here, but just, just bear with me one second. Here's the quote. Elizabeth Rundle Charles says, quote, It is the truth which is assailed in any age which tests our fidelity. It is to confess we are called, not merely to profess. If I profess with the loudest voice and the clearest exposition every portion of the truth of God, except precisely that little point which the world and the devil are at that moment attacking, I am not confessing Christ, however boldly I may be professing Christianity. Where the battle rages the loyalty of the soldier is proved. And to be steady on all the battlefield besides is mere flight and disgrace to him if he flinches at that one point. And I think that's a, a great quote. The truth which is assailed in any age, that's, what, that's where the test is. And we need to confess Christ at precisely the point where the world and the devil are at that moment attacking. It's where the battle rages that the loyalty of the soldier is proved and to be steady on all the battlefield besides is mere flight and disgrace if he flinches at that one point. And so we, we want to we wanna fight the battle that's going on in the world, don't we? we 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 got to address the thinking of the world and bring them the truth of God 
And so we ask then with that, where is the, the battle raging today? Where's the battle raging? Where, where must we confess Christ? Or what is that little point which the world and the devil are at this moment attacking? And of course, there's many areas where the, the battle rages on, where, where God's truth is resisted and where God's truth is under attack. But right now, it seems to be in the area of gender identity, sexual ethics, and in our purpose in the world. <clears throat> and this fight, if we want to stick with the battle metaphor, has been brought to our doorsteps by the explosive new bill that passed in Canada. This bill called C4. And so what I want to do today with our time, and, and most of the time is going to be spent on this first thing, but I want to confess Christ in this place, and I want to ask four questions that kind of look at this attack that's happening in our culture, we want to ask, what is Bill C4? <clears throat> then we want to ask kind of what's the philosophy behind th- this, this revolution, uh, this sexual revolution that's happening in our world. We want to ask what we should do about it and what the Bible says about it. And so we're going to ask those four questions. But first of all, and, and some of you might not even know about this, it really happened so fast. What is Bill C4? So what number one, what is Bill C4? Well, Bill C4 amends the criminal code, and and I've got um, clippings from the the website that, that describes this bill. Bill C4 amends the criminal code to, quote, among other things, create the following offenses. And I'll just end the quote there. There's, there's four new offenses in our country, and this is going to come into play, I think, in 30 days from December 8th. So I, I think that might be January 8th or somewhere right around there. But here's what the, the criminal code is being changed to. Among other things, create the following offenses. A, causing another person to undergo conversion therapy. B, doing anything for the purpose of removing a child from Canada with the intention that the child undergo conversion therapy outside Canada. C, promoting or advertising conversion therapy. And D, receiving a financial or other material benefit from the provision of conversion therapy. Well then, what is this conversion therapy? Well, these new laws are punishable as an indictable offense and liable to imprisonment for up to five years if you do or cause conversion therapy or up to two years for advertising or promoting conversion therapy. There's also with this lesser charges that you could be charged with uh, called summary convictions. And if I understand it rightly, that would result in fines up to $5,000 and up to six months in jail. So we're talking up to $5,000 fine, six months to five years in jail. Well, here's the definition of conversion therapy from the bill. Conversion therapy, this is quote, conversion therapy means a practice, treatment, or service designed to A, change a person's sexual orientation to heterosexual, B, change a person's gender identity to cisgender, C, change a person's gender expression so that it conforms to the sex assigned to the person at birth. D, repress or reduce non-heterosexual attraction or sexual behavior. 
E, repress a person's non-cisgender gender identity or, or F, repress or reduce a person's gender expression that does not conform to the sex assigned to the person at birth. Now we're going to talk about what some of those mean in a moment. But again, if you do any of this, you're going to be a criminal in Canada. If you do any of this, you're going to be a criminal in Canada. Fingerprints, mugshots, jail time, the whole thing. Here's the exact wording. Everyone who knowingly causes another person to undergo conversion therapy, including by providing conversion therapy to that person, is A, guilty of an indictable offense and liable to imprisonment for a term of not more than five years, or B, guilty of an offense punishable on summary conviction. Or, everyone who knowingly promotes or advertises conversion therapy is A, guilty of an indictable offense and liable to imprisonment for a term of not more than two years, or B, guilty of an offense punishable on summary conviction. And then thirdly, everyone who receives a financial or other material benefit, knowingly that is obtained or derived directly or indirectly from the provision of conversion therapy is A, guilty of an indictable offense and liable to imprisonment for a term of not more than two years, or again, guilty of an offense punishable on summary conviction. Now, I have questions about how this will apply, and of course, you guys know I'm not a lawyer. But it would seem that preaching the gospel to anyone in the L, L, uh, LGBTQ2S plus community, which would of necessity call them to recognize God's creation order, just, just preaching or proclaiming the gospel, even having a conversation about the gospel with somebody like that, that would call them to recognize God's creation order and to repent of sins, could be interpreted as a a practice or service which knowingly causes a person to change in those ways. And once they changed in those ways, encouraging that person to grow in Christ would or could be interpreted as a practice or service designed to reduce the person's attraction, sexual behavior, gender identity, or expression. But again, I'm not a lawyer, but this, this thing is just so broadly written. Let's look at it more slowly, and we're gonna, and, and, and as we kind of go through the, the definition of what conversion therapy is, we're gonna look at some scriptures as well, and so we're gonna kinda, I, really, today I'm just talking to you about what's going on, is, is really what this is. But let's look at it more slowly. First of all, here's what conversion therapy is that's gonna be illegal in Canada. Conversion therapy means a practice, treatment, or service designed to A, change a person's sexual orientation to heterosexual. And so knowingly doing something, a a practice, to change a person's sexual orientation to heterosexual is going to be a crime. Now I wonder if that would include reading from God's Word in Scripture. And so I want to, I want to turn now to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. This might be illegal, uh, in the coming days. Illegal to have it on our website. Illegal to, um, read this verse in the future. But go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 
And we're going to look at verses 9 to 11. Paul says there, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. This is a warning to the Corinthians that they not be deceived. And they're not to be deceived in this way because unrighteous people who are or can be identified or characterized by their sin in all of these things will not inherit God's kingdom. In other words, they will be barred from heaven. If you are sexually immoral, an idolater, an adulteress, a, a, a practicer of homosexuality, a thief or greedy or a drunkard or a reviler or a swindler, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. And the, Paul doesn't want the Corinthians to be deceived about this. And again, that includes sexual immorality, adultery, and homosexuality. The words there translated homosexuality in Greek is actually two words, and the ESV footnote explains it well, so I'll just quote it from there. It says the two Greek terms translated by this phrase refer to the passive and active partners in consensual homosexual acts. And those who practice, again, such things will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Now, the good news is that some of the Corinthians were those very things. They were homosexuals. They were adulterers. They were sexually immoral. But God saved them out of it. And their identity changed from those things to now being a righteous worshiper of God in this world. Again, such were some of you, but you were washed. They were cleansed from their sin. You were sanctified. That is, they were set apart to God. They were made holy. They went from unrighteous to a life lived righteously for God. And you were justified, Paul says. That is, God by His grace had forgiven their sins and declared them righteous on the basis of Christ's work for them on the cross when He died on the cross for sinners. And so they were washed, they were sanctified, they were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. It's actually the work of God's Holy Spirit through His Word to change someone from unrighteousness to righteousness. But without that change, no one will enter the kingdom of God. Now, at least in my understanding, I can't change anyone. God has to do it, but He does it through the message of transformation, the message of washing, the message of sanctification, the message of justification by faith through the Lord Jesus Christ. And He does it by the work of the Holy Spirit. And it's proclaiming the message of transformation and forgiveness and eternal life. that saves sinners. And so we wonder, is proclaiming that message going to be deemed a practice, treatment, 
or service. In fact, if we think about it, even the work of the Holy Spirit is going to be illegal in Canada in changing people's identity in those ways. Proclaiming that message is assuredly designed to change a person's sexual orientation to heterosexual. Just as it's designed to change a thief's orientation towards stealing, or a drunk's orientation towards drunkenness, or a greedy person's orientation towards the things of this world, or a, an idolatrous person's orientation to worshiping the creature rather than the creator. And it's designed to change them into worshipers of God who live like Christ in this world. And so God saves us from all of those sins and more through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, next in the definition, the conversion therapy means a practice, treatment, or service designed to be change a person's gender identity to cisgender. You know, I I don't know about you, I had to look this up. Cisgender uh, means a, a person whose sense of personal identity and gender corresponds with their birth sex. So, for example, I would be considered cisgender because I was born a male, and my personal identity and gender identity is that of a male. The opposite of cisgender is transgender, which means a a person whose sense of personal identity and gender does not correspond with their birth sex. And so that would be, for example, if if I was born a male, but I I identified and felt like inside that I was a female or or something else. Both of those definitions are from the Oxford English Dictionary. So if a person was born a male, but they identify as a female, and I do something, I do a practice that attempts to change that person to identify according to their biological form or to the way that they were born, that is a crime punishable by up to five years in prison. Now, does that something designed to change them include a conversation a, persu- a persuasive sermon or reading scripture to them? It would seem so, but I, I guess the courts are going to have to decide on that. Well, third, conversion therapy means a practice, treatment, or service designed to see, change a person's gender expression so that it, uh, it confer- conforms to their, the sex assigned to the person at birth. This is, a, again, to change a person's gender expression. Uh, now, the last one I had a, a gender identity. A, a gender identity is someone's internal, individual experience of gender, the way that they think or feel. Well, their expression is kind of the, the external part of that, the way that they publicly present their gender. And so if, if you try to change a person's gender expression so that it, it conforms to the, 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 the sex that they were born and that was assigned to them at birth, that is going to be illegal. Now, at first glance, again, in fact, even twice as I read this one and, and kind of was working on this sermon, I had to go back and correct it because I, I was understanding it wrong. At first, I actually thought that in Canada, parents had the right to assign their children's uh, sex at birth so that if a, a, a boy was born a, a bo- born a boy, they could say, ah, no, it's not, it's a girl. Uh, but thankfully, that is still not allowed in Canada, although there's a push towards 
allowing that. There, there's a push towards allowing that. It says that, it, um, again, it doesn't say the sex recognized at birth. It says the sex assigned at birth. And, and so there's this kind of Gnostic idea of gender in our culture where, you know, who your, your physical body is doesn't necessarily need to correspond with who you are on the inside. Seems like the, the, the law and the world is, are trying to make room for people who don't even want to admit that they have a birth sex. So in this case, you couldn't in, change their gender expression. You couldn't, you couldn't tell a, a, a man who dresses like a woman that he should dress like a man. Now, as far as I understand it, a, a practice, treatment, or service designed to change such a one is illegal and criminal, even if the person, and, and as, this is as far as I understand it, even if the person comes to you asking for help in this way. So if somebody wants this, if somebody says, you know what, Mike, I just, I just want to, I, I just want to be like a man and like, you know, like God made me and help me to dress like a man. And, and, and if I tried to help that person, at least the way I understand it, that would be a, a criminal offense in our country. Even if the person was convinced by God's word that they must change for the glory of God or their creator, that would be illegal. Well, f- well fourthly on this definition, conversion therapy means uh, a practice, treatment, or service designed to D, repress or reduce non-heterosexual attraction or sexual behavior. And so if a man is attracted to men or committing sexual immorality with men, and I do something to reduce or repress it, like say that that is sexually immoral, or to quote God's holy word, like Romans chapter 1, and I actually want you to turn to Romans chapter 1 here as we look at this one. Again, any kind of practice, treatment, or service designed to repress non-heterosexual attraction or sexual behavior. So behavior or uh, attraction, the, the, the heart or the outward acts. Romans one twenty six says this, it says, For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. In other words, they were the L in the LGBTQ. Their women exchanged the natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, Verse 27, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. God calls non-heterosexual attractions and, and acts dishonorable passions. One even that God gives people up to, to. They're, they're given over to those things. When men and women suppress the truth and unrighteousness from Romans 1.18 and refuse to honor God or give thanks to Him in Romans 1.21 and they worship and serve the creature rather than the Creator, Romans 1.25, then God gives them up to the lusts of their hearts. And homosexuality, whether it be in gay or lesbian forms, is itself... God's judgment on a person. 
Now, as I said, such a one can be saved from that lifestyle, but only if they repent and turn back to God who created them male and female for his glory. All of us deserved God's judgment and all of us suppressed the truth and unrighteousness and all of us failed to worship God and were given over to futile thinking and the lusts of our hearts. Some of us were given over to different sins and you can see that in Romans 1, 28. It says there, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. God's righteous decree is that the penalty for sin is death. And nobody is better than anybody else. Scripture declares that we are all under sin. Romans 3.10 None is righteous, no, not one. We are not righteous, but through faith in Christ We can be made righteous. Jesus' righteousness can be imputed to us or counted as ours through faith. That's justification. And whoever is justified by faith in Christ will go to heaven, but they will also be sanctified. That is, they'll be increasingly putting off unrighteousness and they'll grow to be more like Christ in this world. Well, let's look at the, the final two and, and see what those say. Conversion therapy means a practice, treatment, or service designed to e repress a person's non-cisgender gender identity or F, repress a, or reduce a person's gender expression that does not conform to the sex assigned to a person at birth. Again, in both cases, it's a crime in our country to reduce or repress someone's Gender identity or gender expression. Identity, again, is somebody's internal, individual experience of gender. The the thinking and feeling that they have. Who they identify themselves as. And their expression is the, the way that they publicly present their gender with things like their pronouns and the way that they dress and what they wear and, and their body language and all of those kinds of things. So to repress or reduce their identity or expression is going to be a crime. Now, right after those definitions in the bill, Bill C-4 says this, quote, for greater certainty, this definition does not include a practice, treatment, or service that relates to the exploration or development of an integrated personal identity, such as a practice, treatment, or service that relates to a person's gender transition And that is not based on an assumption that a particular sexual orientation, gender identity, or gender expression is to be preferred over another. In other words, practices, treatments, and services that would aim to transition someone's gender away from the sex assigned to them at birth are okay. 
So long as those who do that don't prefer one over another. So, so long as they don't have an opinion about which is better. But if you have a view that, that, that one would be, say, righteous and that another would be unrighteous, then that opinion is illegal. And if you express such in such a way that might be seen to either change one's view or to change their behavior, then again, it looks like you would be guilty of an offense. Now, I just want to pause here because there's, there's types of conversion therapy that I would not support. In fact, every other type I wouldn't think I'd be very supportive of except of preaching God's Word and letting the Holy Spirit change people based on God's truth. Now, I, I probably don't even know what those different treatments and practices are. Um, you know, uh, I, I've heard of things, and I don't know if it still continues today, I've heard of things like shock therapies or giving people drugs to, to change them or even coercive treatments. I just want to be clear, I don't support any of those things. I don't think that that is godly. That's not the way that we're to do anything. We can't coerce anybody. We shouldn't shock anybody. We shouldn't be drugging people. God is the one who changes and transforms the human heart. And the only thing that can change the human human heart is God's truth coming to someone by the power of the Holy Spirit. No one should be coerced, but persuasion should be allowed. Arguments should be allowed. Talking to people should be allowed in our country. 2 Corinthians 5.11 says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. See, Paul knew what it meant to fear of the, the Lord. He knew what it meant to, to think about heaven and hell. And so he persuaded others, even in the midst of discouragement and pressure, he persuaded others to come to Christ and be saved. Or in chapter 4, 2 Corinthians 4.13, he says, Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what is written, I believed and so I spoke. He says, we also believe and so we also speak. You see, I believe that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And that men and women must hear that gospel in order to be saved. Listen to Romans chapter 10, verse 11 to 15. It says, for scripture says, everyone who believes in him, and that him there is Christ, will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew or Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So we must go and preach for people to hear and believe. And if they do, they will call on the Lord and be saved. But, and this is really important here, but if we are silent, then we are complicit in the perishing of the lost. If we are silent, we are complicit in the perishing of the lost. Paul says, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. And again, brethren, we cannot coerce anyone. God must transform the sinner. God's word must convince the mind. And only then will people truly come to Christ. 
But 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We are ambassadors for our heavenly King, the Lord Jesus Christ. And God Himself appeals through us and we must implore people, we must urge people, we must beg people to be reconciled to God, to turn away from their sin and come to Jesus Christ. Now our King Himself tells us not to cast our pearls before pigs in Matthew 7 and verse 6. And remember when we studied that, the idea there is that if people are hostile, we should leave them alone. If they don't want to hear God's Word, then we should warn them and move on. But we cannot uh, allow a bill like this to silence us. That's the goal of a bill like this is to, to silence the Gospel in our land. To silence this call to repentance and faith in Christ. And if we, if we are silenced on this issue, then what we do is we leave the country with no hope of salvation. No voice to call them from their sin to be saved and have eternal life. And so we can't be silenced. We can't be complicit in the perishing of the people. No matter how hostile they are, we need to continue to proclaim the truth. Now, I don't have a, a, a whole lot of time as we kind of move forward. The next few, few are going to be a little bit quicker. But I just wanted to address, as, as much as I'm able, where did the philosophy behind this bill come from? Where did the philosophy behind Bill C-4 come from? And, and that question really could take us months to explore. I read a, a book on that called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self by Carl Truman this week. And he answers that question in about 400 pages. Truman explains the sexual revolution with the, the you know, I, because I think we might wonder, like, how did this come so fast? How did our culture change so quickly? And Truman explains that the, the sexual revolution and the promiscuity and the homosexuality and the gender identity issues and, and so much of what we see in, in these spheres as is really the fruit of the modern view of the self. And he argues that our generation and the culture around us has adopted a, a different view of self than other generations and other cultures. And, and he calls that the, our culture the, the social imaginary. The way that we, we think about ourselves and the world around us. It doesn't even matter if those things are true or fact-based. It's just the way that, that we think is, is this social imaginary. How the world processes life. And he says that we are much more likely to think inwardly than previous generations. So that, you know, if you ask, for example, about someone's job satisfaction, how do you, how do you like your job? You know, other generations might have thought more outwardly. Well, if my job provides for my family and I do what I got to do and we're, we're well taken care of and that would be job satisfaction. Whereas our culture, our generation, our time would, would think more inwardly and we would ask ourselves if we actually enjoy the work that we're doing itself and if it brings us some kind of inner psychological well-being. We're, we're kind of a psychologized culture and we're, we're, we're very inward in our thinking. Anyways, Truman traces the past 200 so years of thought leading to the sexual revolution and these gender issues that we see today. And he, he shows how these questions about the self have impacted society. And I think this is really the, the root of, of where this is coming from. For example, these, these questions about the self is 
things like what is the purpose of life? Or what is the good life? Think about what our culture thinks is the good life. Or who am I? Who is myself in relation to the world? And who, who am I in relation to others? Well, Truman shows that by, by undermining the tr- traditional grounds for morality and establishing a new morality based on the, the new understanding of self, we're now living in a society that doesn't just want to transgress the formal boundaries of proper sexual behavior. Our society actually wants to overthrow and abolish those boundaries. Now, I, I know that's a lot to absorb, but we need to understand at least this much. Society as it now is will not be happy just to leave us to our traditional views on gender and sexuality. Our views, or or maybe I should say better, God's views are offensive and oppressive even if we just believe them privately to ourselves. Well, why is that? Because people have come to see, and this this is this view of self, people have come to see sex as their highest good. And their inner sense of well-being is is tied then to their sexual identity. And so their sexual identity and their, their the behaviors that they go in, they, they see this as their highest good. And the traditional morality that would say that many of those things are are sinful, those thoughts and behaviors are actually sin, it's then viewed as an attack on the people's greatest good and on who they are. You know, if I, if I won't marry a homosexual couple, you might think, well, somebody else can marry them. What's the big deal, right? So, so get, get a justice of the peace to do it. But no, to not endorse their union is to question their identity, which is viewed almost as a form of oppression today. Their inner self and their sense of well-being as well as the source of their happiness and their identity is in sexuality. And so to not celebrate it is in the world's mind to oppress them. And more, for me to merely hold my view or argue my view, the predominant view for, for really most of world history is seen then as almost a form of violence. And then because of the, the, the deconstructionist mindset that is, that is kind of infiltrated this thinking as well, what happens is there's no room left for the traditional view of morality and to hold what was standard morality, say 20, 30, 40 years ago, is no longer regarded as even valid or reasoned. And we, we see that in our society. It's, it's, it's just plain hatred and bigotry. And even the, the court cases through the United States, Truman traces those and shows that, that even like, like standard morality 30, 40, 50 years ago is, is even viewed by the courts as just hatred and bigotry. Now, I want to say that I, I have no phobia. No, no, you know, it's just labeled as you're just homophobic. You're just, you're just, uh, I, you know, I don't even know all the phobias. You're transphobic. I have no phobia against transgender people or lesbians or gay people. I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm not afraid of them or, or, or anything like that. I, I have no animosity towards the lesbian uh, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, two-spirit plus community. I want their good, even though I believe that, that their pursuit of good in their sexuality and identity is all wrong. I, I want the highest good for those people. I want them to know God and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And so it's not a, a phobia, it's not a hatred for these people, I want their highest good, but we disagree on what that highest good is. And in our country, we should be able to disagree and present the truth of God's Word. And so let's do that now. What does God say about all of this? And here's what I want our government and our world and our church to understand. This world belongs to God. He made it. He owns it. He is the creator. God is the creator. Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell in it. This world and those who dwell in it belong to God. God has revealed in His Word our purpose and our identity and our highest good. He's the creator of this world. He knows what our highest good is. He created this world to reveal His glory, to show us His goodness and His greatness. Psalm 19 verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. He made mankind to be His representatives on the earth, and He made us to glorify God. Genesis 1, 26, and, and maybe we need to turn here to the, um, the beginning book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. We just read that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, the first verse in the Bible. Genesis 1, 26 says that we were made in the image and likeness of God. We were made to reflect God in this world and to rule over the earth as God's representatives. Verse 27 says, So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him male and female. He created them. This is our identity and our purpose and our highest good right here. We were made by God. We were made like God. And we were made to glorify Him, to enjoy Him, to, to worship Him, to know Him. We were made male and female by a loving Creator and a good Creator. And He made us male and female outwardly and inwardly, all of us created by God. In chapter 2, we get more details on the creation of man. God made, man, uh, God made the man first, Adam. And man named the animals and then God made Eve from the man. And God brought the man and the woman together in marriage. The two literally from one flesh were joined together as one flesh. And so they were, they were literally from one flesh because Eve was made from Adam's rib. And then they were joined together by God in this holy marriage. Each one Male and female, each one made for the other. The man to lead and protect, the woman to help the man. And together they were to keep the garden and raise a family to keep that garden and watch over it and rule and have dominion over the earth. And by this union, this, this covenant love for one another, they were to glorify God and serve Him together. Genesis 2.23, then the man said, as, as God brings him the woman, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one 
It's flesh. God did not create us to have our identity in sexual preferences. Our identity is not in our gender, although we were made male and female. Our identity is that God made us as image bearers to know Him and to serve Him. God didn't make us to find our chief joy in sexual activity. Our purpose is so much greater than the passions of the flesh. Sex within the covenant of marriage is good and a gift from God. Sex within the covenant of marriage is designed by God, but it's meant to glorify Him. It's not meant as an end in itself. And if the world could see the glory of our Creator God, they would see that they are rejecting their greatest good by refusing to acknowledge Him. But as I said at the beginning, the world fell into sin when our parents, Adam and Eve, ate the fruit of the tree that God told them not to eat. And I began by talking about the sinfulness of this world and how they suppress the truth and unrighteousness. The world in our state of sin has rejected God and the world is at enmity with their Creator. They don't want to acknowledge Him and so they've exchanged the glory of God for the worship of other sinful pleasures. They've even gone so far as to tell people that calling people to acknowledge God's creation mandate for their gender and their sexual orientation is a crime. They are even so backwards that they say practicing, teaching, or otherwise propagating God's truth is harmful to society. It harms the persons who are subjected to it. And it is a myth, even, they say. Listen to this blasphemous preamble to this bill it says quote whereas conversion therapy causes harm to the persons who are subjected to it whereas conversion therapy causes harm to society because among other things it is based on and propagates myths and stereotypes about sexual orientation gender identity and gender expression including the myth that heterosexuality Cisgender gender identity and gender expression that conforms to the sex assigned to a person at birth are to be preferred over other sexual orientations, gender identities, and gender expressions. And whereas in light of those harms, it is important to discourage and denounce the provision of conversion therapy in order to protect the human dignity and equality of all Canadians. The government of Canada just called God's truth a myth. And they unanimously pushed this bill through the House and the Senate, bypassing the usual discussion and debate. And so God's word is now a myth. And they have eradicated the foundation for human dignity and equality by denying that we were made in the image of God. And now they're trying to protect the human dignity and equality of Canadians by destroying what God has created. And what's happening here then is the government of Canada has declared war against God. And that is a frightful, frightful thing. What God created, male and female image bearers, made for each other in holy marriage is no myth and it does no harm. It does no harm to turn people from vain sin to a glorious God. Now, as I said, again, I want to say there are so-called 
conversion therapies that I would discourage and denounce. But the conversion that is based on the truth of God's Word through faith in Jesus Christ, that conversion is the only hope for eternal life. And if it be discouraged and denounced, if it be disdained and disregarded as a myth, or in some way deleted from public discourse, then this country is doomed to destruction. And so we can't allow that to happen. And what are we going to do then, brothers and sisters? What do we do? Number four in your outline, we're going to continue to preach and teach the only way of salvation. And we're going to do so without fear. And we'll see if our government will come to their senses. Pray for our government. Now is the time for us to ensure that our joy is in God and in Christ They can take away our freedom. They can put us in jail, but they can't take our God away from us. And so there's great encouragement for us in that. There's nothing to fear. Whatever, you know, I personally have come to the place where it's like, if I'm in jail, I can find joy in Christ in jail. And God's going to take care of my family. And and I think we all need to kind of get to that place in case this goes as bad as as we fear that it might. But now is the time, I believe, to take a bold stand for Christ and the truth and to proclaim God's truth to the world. To do otherwise is to not please God and to be useless to men. But we are here. We have been left on this earth. This church exists to please God and to call people to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. We don't know what will happen with C4. There may be some explosions, but nothing can destroy God's truth. Nothing can destroy God's truth. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank You that in this battle for truth, that You are with us, that Christ is with us. We thank You that, that You saved us out of our sin and that You have a gospel and a way that can save anyone from any sin. And we pray that that gospel would go forth. We pray that you would be glorified through our proclamation. And we pray that many sinners would be drawn to faith in Jesus Christ. Even through this very message, we we ask in Jesus' name, amen.